Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Serial Box. Serial Box delivers addictive book content in short listen or read installments designed to fit into today's fast-paced mobile lifestyle. Switch between listening and reading with a single click, picking up right where you left off. Learn more at SerialBox.com, S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com. I'm really excited to be here today with Marissa Bardick-Rammel, who's the co-author of The Goodbye Diaries, A Mother-Daughter Memoir, which she wrote alongside her mother, Sally Bardock, who has since passed away. A graduate of Syracuse University, Marissa worked as a magazine editor and contributed to many publications, including 17, HuffPost, Glamour, Modern Loss, and others. She currently lives with her husband and two children in Brooklyn. So welcome to Marissa. Thank you so much, Zibi. I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, it's so great to have you here. So tell me how you got the idea to write this book. It's an alternating memoir between passages from your point of view and also from your mother's in her voice as if she's writing a diary. Were you guys actually keeping diaries? Tell me the whole thing. Okay, so basically this whole book was my mom's idea. She called me when I was a student in college at Syracuse University, and she said, you know, she called me Missy, and she was like, Missy, everyone keeps telling me to write a book, but I don't think I can do it on my own. But what if we wrote a book together? And I was studying journalism at Syracuse University and obviously immediately loved this idea. And the next time I was home on break, we sat together in my bedroom and she took out her diary. She was always keeping journals and diaries, and we wrote down 
what we wanted the chapters to be. We wanted a chapter about her diagnosis. We wanted a chapter about how our friendships had changed. We wanted a chapter about this big fight we had had after she was diagnosed and how our relationship had changed. And we decided, you know, what if it alternated chapters between us because we realized we were going through the same thing, but in totally different ways from one another. I was a teenager and she was a, a mom and, and the patient. And so our experience of it, of it were totally different. And she began writing her chapters immediately because she was a teacher and had to retire from teaching. So suddenly she had all this free time and also knew that she didn't have a lot of time left. So she had been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and had been initially told she had two months to live. And so she really began writing her chapters and I think was very, I think it was kind of centering for her mm -hmm. to have a project to turn to like that. And I was in college, so I began writing my chapters, but obviously was balancing that with all the other college things right. like going to classes and hanging out with friends. And so really a lot of the piecing together of the book has happened since she passed away in 2002. So really it has felt almost like a collage where I had her chapters and her journals and her medical notebooks and letters that she had written to me or cards she had written to my dad. And I had to sort of cull it all together and figure out how to tell the story of our relationship and how it changed in the time she was sick. And so what happened between 2002 and 2019? Oh my gosh, so much. <laughs> I mean, not all that. I don't, not like what you had for breakfast, but like what, what happened with the book in terms of when did you start working on it? When did you decide it was something you wanted to publish? So I really turned to it after I graduated from college. I started in a writing group and, and started writing some of my chapters and figuring out how they went together with her chapters. And I kept working on it through most of my 20s. I mean, I had this idea that I would publish this book like pretty soon after she right. died. And it ended up, you know, this, my mom and I had thought of it as maybe a book that had like eight chapters, like mm -hmm. a short little yeah. book. And really when I began to examine her chapters and think about mine and telling the whole narrative of our relationship, I said, oh my gosh, this is actually a much longer book than right. either of us ever imagined. I mean, we pictured eight chapters, it's 28 chapters. So wow. it really changed a lot. And there were years that I didn't work on it at all. Around the time I moved in with my boyfriend, who's now my husband, I sort of thought, you know, maybe Maybe that was just a cathartic project I was doing, and, and maybe that's all it was, and I'm in this happy period of my life now. And I didn't really know how the two went together. I didn't know how to be at this moment of my life that I was really happy and be working on something that was very sad. So I really put the book down for about four years, and then a year after we got married, I said to my husband, you know, I think I'd like to try having a baby. And he said, well, I'm not really ready to do that yet. And I said, okay, well, then maybe I'll finish that book. There you go. <laughs> and so I spent the next year, I felt like at that point, I was only maybe a third of the way done with the book. And it only took a year to finish the remaining two thirds. I think it was just the right time in my life right. where I could figure out how it all came together. I was going to say, I feel like the fact that you were older... Like now you have a child, now two children, now you have more of a perspective than if you had tried to write it as 
you know, a teenager right afterwards. So. Yes. Becoming a mother really changed my perspective on the book. And the way that has shown itself to me so dramatically is that when I was working on it in my 20s, I thought my mom's chapters were really boring. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, I would read my chapter and be so in love with my chapter. And then I would like skim through hers. <laughs> now, I think her chapters, I enjoy them more than mine because right. I relate to them as a mother so intensely now. So that was one of the most illuminating parts for me. You write so beautifully in the book about the whole mother-daughter relationship, not just with your mother, but with your children. In the prologue even, you wrote that even when you were first pregnant, you were so terrified of miscarriage. And you said, my daughter reassures me from the inside with an Olympic gymnast tumble the way she has throughout my pregnancy. The seismic shift in my belly leaves me in awe. She never makes me worry, I say to friends about the acrobatics. And yet, by her mere presence and the fear of her absence, she makes me worry all the time. She quiets down. Resting a hand on my stomach, I caress a leg or an arm, who knows which, and imagine my little girl brightening up the spaces left dark by my grief, and I wait. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> it's funny. It makes me cry hearing you read oh, it. sorry. Just, don't cry. No, yeah. it's, I just, I remember that, you know, my daughter is now almost a year old, and I, remember so clearly writing that, sitting at my kitchen table with this big, big belly. You know, she, I wrote this like 10 days before she arrived. And I just felt like I had so much anxiety about her arrival and her safe arrival, the way I think most pregnant yeah. women do. But I think in another level, because I just felt so blessed to be having a little girl and to have this mother-daughter relationship back in my life again. And I just felt like I have to write it now because after you have the baby, you don't fully remember that emotion and how intense it feels. I think in hindsight, you feel like you're so overjoyed that the baby is there that you don't fully remember all those emotions. So I, I just remember sitting at my kitchen table and like furiously writing that prologue. And now she's here and I, and I, you know, I really feel lucky every day to have that mother-daughter relationship back in my life. And I, uh, you know, I look forward to it continuing, you know, right now it's at such a, a baby place because she's a baby. And I look forward to what it will be like as she gets older and, and we have more of that friendship developing. Uh -huh. It's so true, too, the fear that comes with pregnancy. I mean, I know people talk about it, but, you know, people would ask me, oh, you had twins. Like, I started with twins. How was it? And I was like, I was worried the entire time. I still worry about them all the time. I feel like I never <laughs> stop. You know I mean, it's like once they're your responsibility, I don't know. It's the anxiety and the emotion. But anyway, you captured it so perfectly. So I actually didn't realize how universal an emotion it was. I, For me, it felt so tied to my mom mm -hmm. and the lingering grief that was still there. And then when an editor edited my book, she said, oh, well, you, you know, you're talking about prenatal anxiety. And I was like, huh? You know, I, I didn't Is know that that, that was yeah. a real thing. Yeah. And I said, gosh, I could have really had some people to relate to if I knew right. that this was really a thing. I thought it was just that's leftover one of the, That's grief. one of those like evolutionarily good things, right? I mean, I feel like a lot of anxiety <laughs> is totally useless, but that one makes sense to me. Like you should, like you could see why. And anyway, whatever. Yes, yes. Um, You're trying to protect this thing, you know. <laughs> it's a big responsibility and it continues to be. In your epilogue, you wrote another really beautiful passage just to skip around through the entire book. You said, I lay on the couch and hold my newborn daughter close, her tiny ear pressed against my swelling heart. Instead of telling her about my mom, I tell her about the kind of mom I long to be. With my silence, I show her that I will always listen. 
I remember all the times I went upstairs to my mother's room and lay quietly beside her until the words began to trickle out. I sense that in the years to come, this is the only way my daughter, too, will reveal to me all the things deeply rooted in her heart. As my baby's fingers clutch my hand, I realize that mothers draw strength from their daughters, too. Oh, (laughs) I started crying when I read that in the book. It's so, it's like this whole relationship. It's like, oh my gosh. Do you feel now, I know it's so early in your parenting of your daughter. Do you, do you find yourself saying or doing things to her that like really channel your mom or? Oh my gosh, definitely. And and I think that's also one of these universal things that most people, when they become a mom, all of a sudden they say things and they're like, oh my God, that's what my mom used to say. You know, you just hear your mother's words come out of your mouth. And for me, I think most women, when that happens, they go, oh God, I sound just like my mother. And for me, I go, oh my gosh, I sound just like my mother. <laughs> and I'm, And it's such a way of her coming back to me. So one of the little things is, you know, I remember when holding my son when he was born and also when holding my daughter, you know, when they're crying, I would, I would walk my daughter around the room and go, ah, ah, baby, mama loves the baby. And that's what my mom used to sing to me when I was a baby. And I remember I relayed this to my stepmother and she said, oh yeah, that's what I used to sing to my children, you know, but I think it's this refrain that comes back to you that has such strong memories attached to it and such comfort and such solace. And it's wonderful how that there are these universal things about parenting that go from generation to generation. And even though so much is different now than it was when our parents raised us, there's still so much that connects us. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's true. There was also a huge component to this book about your growing up, right? Because you wrote it in this stage of life, you know, high school, going to college, you know, this whole time of life. My husband keeps being like, he asks me what I'm reading, and I'm like, well, it's also like a coming of age. He's like, why is everything you read a coming of age? What does that even mean? And I was like, well, you know. Anyway, so tell me about, like, the coming of age part about this book and maybe the the intersection. I mean, it was such a time of change for you already, graduating high school, the whole thing, the prom dress, and the loss of your mom and the, the illness that you had to deal with. Tell me just about that moment a little more. Yeah, I think for anyone who has dealt with someone being ill, I think the weirdest thing about it is that 
your current life continues. You have like sort of this big side plot of someone in your life being sick. And then you also have to keep doing your day to day, which is very strange. And my day to day at the time, I was 17 when my mom was diagnosed. I was a senior in high school. I was waiting to find out where I was going to college. I was waiting to find out who I was going to bring to prom. All the things that now seem sort of childish and silly, but at the time are these big moments in your life. And you know, getting my mom's diagnosis just blew up my world. And everything I think took on even more importance than it normally would have. I'm already a sentimental person, but something like going prom dress shopping, I always imagined, and my mom always imagined going prom dress shopping together. I mean, we were very close throughout my life and that was something we were always looking forward to. And then my mom was diagnosed in January and a few weeks later she said, let's go prom dress shopping. And it was so bittersweet to Mm -hmm. me because it was something I always wanted to do with her. And yet my friends weren't going to go prom dress shopping for another month or two. And I knew we were doing it early so that she could be there. And I just, you know, I was relaying this to a friend recently and she said, you know, I don't even remember who I got my prom dress with or, you know, I don't really remember it that well. And when I read your book, it struck me so much that every moment you had with your mother when she was sick became so memorable for you. And there's something very special about that. And I think at the time, everything just felt really fraught. But in hindsight, it made everything so much more memorable. And I remember those years with my mother so well because of it. And my mom also became a source of wisdom for me in everything from where I was deciding to go to college. She was very adamant that I still continue to go far away from home, even though she was sick. She was very adamant with both me and my brother, like she wanted our lives to continue. She didn't want to interrupt our lives. And so, you know, she was also gave me a lot of advice in in relationships. You know, I had various boyfriends throughout the book and various relationships, and some of them became very tumultuous in that time. And she was thankfully outlived this two-month prognosis and could still be there for me when I really needed her. You also talk all throughout this book about the importance of books to you while you went through all of this. You talk about like The Awakening and Danielle Steele novels that distracted your mom. You were reading books on how to manage grief while you know on break working at an ice cream shop in the summer when you should have been just out doing, you know, whatever childhood type things. How do you think reading helped both you and your mom through that? And how do you think it helps you today? Reading was something that always connected me and my mom. I remember so well, we would take these weekly trips to the library after school and just, I would pick out my books and she would pick out her books. And some of my favorite times were when she read a book and was like, oh, Missy, you have to read this. Or I read a book and I was like, mom, you have to read this. And that shared experience of both reading the same book and then being able to talk about it with each other. And especially that happening as I became an older teenager, I think it showed me that my mom was able to start seeing me as a young adult and start seeing me as a kind of a peer who she could share these books with. And I just, I loved that feeling. I think a lot of children love that feeling of when they start to see their parents looking at them differently and feeling like they're becoming someone different. So when we wrote this book, our hope was that this could be a book that a mother might read and then pass along to her teenage daughter or vice versa. A teenage daughter might read it and be like, mom, you have to read this because we both loved that experience of sharing a book together. There's something so intimate about a book. 
I still, whenever, if I finish something that I really love, I send copies to my mom and my grandmother. Oh, <laughs> like, I love right away. That. Yeah. And then I ask my grandmother all the time, like she reads all the time, like, Aggie, what are you reading? And now it, she's 95. She's like, I don't know, but it's really good. <laughs> like, great. I had this really nice moment recently where I've reconnected in the past few months with the woman who was my mother's physician's assistant because I called her to make sure she was okay with being included in the book. And she was. And the best thing she told me was she was like, I'm reading it right now. And then my teenage daughter, Aww. who's 14, wants to read it. And then on spring break, we're going to visit my mom, who lives in Florida, and we're going to give it to her to read. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're doing exactly what my mom and I wanted to do. And even more, even one generation beyond that that we didn't even really think of. So I, I love this idea of, of these different generations of women passing the book along, because I think that is what is Part of what's special about the book is that a mom can read it and sort of get a peek inside her teenage daughter's brain, yeah. and a teenage daughter can read it and hopefully think, oh my gosh, my mom is also a person. In addition to being my mom, she's this person who has all these different feelings, and I hope it's a way that moms and daughters can connect. Do you feel like, and this is sort of a personal question, you don't have to answer, but do you feel like your mom knows that this is happening now, like that she's in some way like looking, like do you believe any of that? Like she's looking down or she knows or anything? Or I do. For a long time, I fought that. I just wanted her here in real life so badly that I really fought against that feeling. Of people would say, oh, she's here and you can talk to her. And I would just yeah. sort of be rolling my eyes and be like, you don't get it. Mm -hmm. And ever since having children and I think now, especially also with publishing the book, I really do feel her presence more than I have in a very long time and more than I ever thought I would. I do think she knows the book is coming out. And I can't tell whether, I'm sort of torn between whether she thinks like, oh, of course Missy finished this book because she's so sentimental and family-oriented and we were so close that of course she had to, in a way, and sort of torn between me. She was very sarcastic and funny. Mm -hmm. And I sort of also hear her saying, Missy, seriously, you worked on this book for like 20 years and you and you wrote this book and you're getting it published? Seriously? You know, I just, <laughs> so I can't tell, which, but she's, she definitely knows. I'm just not sure yet what exactly she's saying about it. Maybe both. <laughs> and do, have you liked the process? Would you want to write another book? Or is this like, that's enough? That was like half a lifetime and I'm, I'm over it. I just said what I wanted to say. I've actually loved the process. Even now, seeing how a book gets published and how it gets promoted is so fascinating to me. I think just as a book lover, yeah. it's so fascinating. And, and, you, and you were in the magazine world for a long time too, right? Yes. Yeah, so seeing how, you know, being in the magazine world, you know, the longest thing I probably wrote was like an 800-word essay. So... Also trying to wrap your head around, oh, this is 70,000 words. I mean, that seems ridiculous. <laughs> but I've, I've really loved the process. I would love to write another book. And I'm really hoping it takes me less than 18 years. So I think that's like a really doable goal. <laughs> Maybe you should get your husband to write a father-son memoir. See, that's what I'm, th I, I keep right? thinking like there needs to be another piece. duel. You can have it be, instead of your pink cover with the grapefruit, it could be like, where is it? Could you do like a blue cover with like, I don't know, what's a blue? I don't know. A plum, I don't, anyway, I have no good ideas. But anyway, you know what, I, you know what I'm thinking. You know, they would make it like a baseball or something really generic. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Something more sporty. <laughs> Do you have any advice to aspiring authors having just 
been through this process. Now the book's coming out and all this. I feel like that's all I want to do now is like tell people to write books. <laughs> I think there's something about finishing it. And also I think I feel really strongly that there's something really valuable about a long-term goal. I think right now we see a lot of overnight success with things. And even when we see a book come out, we don't really think about the backstory of it, of how long it took to make that piece of art really. And I always say, like, it took me 18 years. You could definitely do it in less time. <laughs> but also, I don't know. I guess projects, creative projects, just take how long they take for a reason. And I keep trying to remind myself of that, that I needed to get to a certain point in my life for this to work. So I think if there are writers out there who are frustrated or maybe they've written books and they haven't been published or maybe they've been working on a book forever and they feel frustrated by that or sort of like, feelings of failure because of that. I think I really suggest just keeping at it, especially if you're enjoying it. I always enjoyed sitting the, the moments when I would sit down and work on it. And I always felt like those were moments that I was hanging out with my mom. And that was part of what was so great about it is that I had this sacred space where I could hang out with her again. And so I think no matter what you're writing, it is sort of a sacred time. Maybe you're not hanging out with your dead mom, but maybe you're hanging out with the characters that you've created. So if that time is, is meaningful for you and valuable for you, just keep at it and maybe it'll only take you 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> if you could say something to anybody who might be going through a similar loss, what, what would you say? Oh... I wish I had those magic words of wisdom. I think there, unfortunately, there aren't any words of wisdom. I always went back to a letter that my mom wrote to me, and she wrote it to me way before she got sick. She wrote it to me when I was a younger teenager and was probably upset because a boy I liked didn't like me back or a friend was being mean to me. And she wrote in the letter that she wished she could tell me, you know, who to choose as friends and who to love, but... That's part of the wondrous journey of life, and life is full of unexpected surprises. And I think even in loss, there are unexpected surprises, and I, I'm so surprised by my life right now. You know, when I compare myself at 20 after just losing my mom and how empty my life felt, and now I'm 36 and I'm married and I have two kids and my house is never quiet and it's so joyful. And I don't think I ever would have anticipated that. So there's always, you know, room for more joy in your life, even next to loss. Thank you. That was so moving and so open of you. And thank you for sharing all of this. Oh, thank you and for having me. The book was really amazing. And I'm not surprised that meeting you in person has mirrored that oh, experience. So. Thank you, Zivi. And I love what you're doing on the podcast. Oh, and I, thanks. I love what you're doing for books in general. Oh. Thank you. Today's episode was sponsored by Serial Box, S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com, SerialBox.com, delivering addictive book content in short listen or read installments. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.